Kate, welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And it is uh, summertime, and so all routines have shifted um, in great ways. But we have not had time to take a walk, so I don't know what will come out on our podcast without. Well, and besides, that time it's super to... hot. It is okay. Well, so what is astonishing you? Let's see. Uh, I spent the day yesterday at a seminar for marriage and pre-marriage training, and oh, it was... Thanks for inviting me. Well... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it was It was good. Um, who did it? Who sponsored it? Keith Copeland, oh, yeah. um, and uh, he was the person who uh, did our pre-marriage training or, or counseling when Han and I got married, and so... I was good to reconnect with him, and um, you know, basically, it's one of those things where uh, couples fill out this like 150 questionnaire thing, mm-hmm. and um, you're trained to interpret the data, and you're given these tools in terms of of um, uh, exercises for them. You know, for example, if they're having communication issues, here are some exercises to help them, and it was really good. Wait, what's the name of it? Um, it's like Engage or something. No. Prepare, okay. Prepare and enrich. I Prepare think and enrich. Okay, I think yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. name. No, that's yes, pretty common. Yes. Okay. And um, and that was really good, but that's not what's astonishing me. What's astonishing me is my reflection on uh, that training and thinking about my preaching. So I, I really, if I go, if I go to my files, there's not a section called um, marriage and family or parenting sermons. I just don't have those. Um, I tend to focus on uh, issues like the person work of Jesus or salvation or spiritual warfare. I don't do a lot of, um, I do, I don't do a lot of practical preaching. And as I think about it, I'm asking myself, you know, why, why is that? It's in part because I'm reacting to a lot of bad preaching around marriage and family. Uh, And I'm also reacting to a lot of five steps, three principles for, three keys to that kind of preaching. But I think I need to bring some balance to the force, right? Because when I read the letters of Paul, often Paul has this pattern. He begins with this kind of big picture theology, first half of the letter, Second half of the letter is, okay, since this first part is true, live this way. And I never get to the live this way. Yeah, but here's, I'm working so hard not to interrupt you, Ben. (laughs) In fact, if people knew how much I wanted to say and didn't say, I would get a little bit of credit. I mean, I think two things listening to that. One is, I mean, we've long had conversations about how I think that in our body, in our branch of the body of Christ, there's a there's a shameful neglect mm. um, in thinking about, learning about, studying, producing um, relevant thought and theology in the domestic sphere, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. most people who are thinking critically about marriage and children are either totally secular or on the more conservative end 
of the body of Christ. And so obviously the Lord works through them and there's helpful things, but there's also some theology that I think is really damaging. One is this assumption that it's every person's and particularly every woman's destiny to be a wife and to bear children. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really unhelpful. I think that in our branch of the body of Christ, we've reacted to that by saying like, let's just not even talk about it. Like scholars don't, I mean, like this is just not a relevant, like people Mm -hmm. will just get it together. Mm -hmm. Just think the right things about Jesus and your Mm -hmm. marriage and family life will get in line. And Mm -hmm. that is ridiculous, right? So I long for there to be serious, critical, like Jesus forward thinking Mm. about, um, you know, personal relationships, be they friendships, marriages, children, what do we do when we're divorced and what is our code? What do we know about Jesus and how does that teach us to, you know, dwell with or be in relationship with the whatever. I mean, that is so necessary and I believe in it and it's not done and it's a problem. And I do not think it needs to be done in the proclamation moment Mm. in worship. I mean, other than I think the way Paul does it to sort of begin a sermon by saying, you know, this is this is the revelation about the nature of God or who Jesus is. And then here are some ways that we would apply this mm-hmm. exactly like Paul does in the letter. I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. But I do not think it's correct to begin with the application and then backpedal. So all those sermons about five ways to three ways, I, I think that that is wrong for several reasons. One is the word that we preach from the pulpit should be relevant to everybody in the congregation, whether they're married, single, mm-hmm. child rearing or not. And so I just, I think that that's a problem. But B, like if we're going to talk about Jesus and then think about what that means in terms of our relationships, great, preach that sermon because everyone gathered has a relationship mm-hmm. that's in need of rebuilding or repairing or reconciliation or whatever it is. But when we name it, you know, I'm talking to married people or I'm talking to parents, I just think that's really exclusive and unhelpful and makes people, I mean, they're literally left out. (laughs) Like the word isn't for me here. I do think we need to do that work, but I don't think it belongs in corporate worship on Sunday morning. Like, I think we need to do that work, but I don't think we need to do it in that space. Well, I think that would be challenging if you are preaching through a whole book of the Bible. Because the way I am um, leaning into the more practical is to preach through whole books of the Bible, which kind of forces me to preach places that I would avoid. And so if I'm preaching through Ephesians, then there there's just a clear section on marriage. And I'm, I'm going to have to just preach that on that particular Sunday. Yeah, well, I think that's interesting because I think that's so relevant. One thing that we have to unpack that's relevant to everyone sitting there is what have people done with this passage over the centuries and what have they assumed Mm -hmm. based on what they thought Paul was saying and Mm -hmm. how can we put it back in context or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I still think that that can be done and needs to be done. And that doesn't mean to say like, okay, now I'm going to teach everyone how to have a healthy, holy marriage because the reality is we are just superimposing our understandings and values about marriage back on, Mm -hmm. you know, first century believers in ways that's, you know, not helpful. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, again, like, it's just weird to hear you say that because on the one hand, we talk all the time about how I feel like we are in, again, in our branch of the body of Christ, we are all about telling people, you know, vote like this, march like this, give this money, but we don't want to say anything about marriage, about families. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll send people to counselors who have nothing to do with us. Mm -hmm. We act like that stuff doesn't matter or like it'll just take care of itself. So, I mean, I think we need to be thinking about Mm it um, and talking about Mm -hmm. it. And obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm with mother Teresa when she says, if you want to save the world, love your family. Cause Mm -hmm. too many of us Mm -hmm. are trying to save the world 
and just, you know, being uh, um, self-righteously shameful Mm. to the people who are closest to us. Like, you know, our kids don't matter. Our spouses don't matter because we're doing important work in the world. And so that justifies me treating the ones I love most like garbage. Like we, I mean, I think that work needs to be done, but I just don't think, because I do not think that Jesus should ever be used as means to an end, whether that's a political end or a self-improvement end, which I know you don't think that either, but I think that's why you don't have that section in your files. Because I think that's your value. And I also don't have the... Or vote like this. Correct. Section because we file. don't do that. We feel like it's our job yeah. to proclaim the gospel mm-hmm. and then to trust the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to tell people how to live it out. So we can give suggestions, and we can. And there are times when you give some examples, but we don't say, "Okay, we believe in Jesus, so your family needs to be organized like this," or "We believe in Jesus, and so you need to vote like that." Or we, we don't do that. Right. And I, I totally agree with that. And, I, and we don't do that and we shouldn't do that. However, in looking at my own preaching, I just steer clear of any, not any, that's too strong, but I, I need to lean into this is how you should live in light of the gospel. Yeah. I, I tend not to go there as much as I should. I mean, I definitely, I mean, and I have friends, maybe some of whom will listen to this podcast and be like, you know, I get feedback often that mm-hmm. my sermons are very theoretical mm-hmm. and that people, whatever, you know, you appreciate them, you're moved by them, but then you leave and you don't know how you're going to move, you know, how you're going to move through the world differently. Mm-hmm. And so I do think it's important that we let people know that the gospel isn't just something that we agree with and then move on with our lives, right? That we yeah. are radically changed in ways that really matter. And we're going to have to give people you know, help people begin to vision that, right? Because, yeah. um, so I'm Because if I it. don't, if I don't lean into that, someone else is going to fill, fill the that gap. void. No, yeah. I understand that. Um, but I do think it's important, and it's one of the reasons that people feel so alienated for church, is that they show up and we're in the middle of a five-week sermon series on how to build a happy marriage, and you're not married, or yeah. you want to be married. I mean, yeah. like, that's not yeah. right. Yeah. So I definitely think... We can yeah. say, let's talk practically about relationships. Sure, let's talk practically sure, about the people sure, that we share a home with or sure. share a job with or, mm-hmm. you know, our neighbors. Mm-hmm. And we can do that in a way that if you're married, it applies to your marriage. And yeah, if you're not, yeah. you don't sit there feeling like, well, I guess this doesn't apply to me until some point in the future mm-hmm. when I'm chosen or mm-hmm. when I mm-hmm. whatever. So yeah. I, I think I think it's, yeah, I think it needs to be done. But, but you're just, thinking outside of the pulpit. I do. I do. I think in the pulpit, do we talk about relationships? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can mm-hmm. we talk about our families? Yes. Because mm-hmm. everyone has a family. Can mm-hmm. we talk about loneliness? Yeah. But I mean, I just, it. there's two, people will hear you say, hear us say, even if we're not saying it, people will hear us say, God wants you to be in a nuclear family. And because again, those other voices mm-hmm. are saying that mm-hmm. so loudly mm-hmm. that we need to be really careful when we say, you know, a Christian life can be expressed in all kinds of holy ways. And this idealized version that, frankly, our capitalist consumer culture idealizes because it makes you spend more money and consume more goods is not necessarily the way that God is calling you to live out your life. And you don't, you know, you don't need to have a family in order to be, you don't need to be a parent or a spouse in order to be someone fully living out their Christian identity. Yeah, and again, one of the reasons I know that I need to lean into this is because, um, you know, as I was in the seminar yesterday and they would show uh, these video clips of couples in 
their counseling session, uh, working on their issues, it was always um, a couple in which you know one was the introvert, the other was the mm-hmm. extrovert. Kind of in this um, kind of typical communication stuff. And I'm thinking, my house isn't like that. I mean, we're both mm-hmm. introverts. I'm thinking, you know what? I probably have something unique to say from the scripture that people aren't hearing when they turn on quote unquote Christian media, mm-hmm. television and radio. And I, I need to be saying it from the pulpit. Well, and I do feel like, you know, we live in a moment where it, it is assumed that if you have a problem, you need to go see a specialist. Mm-hmm. So if your marriage needs help, you need to go see a marriage therapist. Mm-hmm. And if you can't afford a marriage therapist, like, oh, well, mm-hmm. too bad for you. And I do feel like because we are so privileged to serve communities that, I mean, have a lot of people who do not have the resources to go see a psychiatrist, to go see a marriage therapist, to go see a specialist of any sort. You know, the church needs to fulfill the role that it has for generations, which is, you know, wise people filled with the spirit coming together, loving one another, pouring into one another's lives. And so I do think that needs to happen. Like, I do think the local church needs to be encouraging people in their marriages and giving them Mm -hmm. practical tools. I mean, I think that that really matters um, I just think we have to be really careful about how we use the preaching moment sure. for that, which yeah. I know we agree about that yeah. or whatever. We don't have to agree about everything, but I know we're not on opposite sides. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Anyway. So what's astonishing you? So we, um, are, are really incredibly, um, fortunate this week that we're recording at the Grove and there might be some noise because we have a group from Michigan who has come down and they're doing, um, they're serving a youth group, and they're serving um, one of the places they're serving this week is at the Grove, and they're doing some painting for us. Um, our sanctuary has not been painted in the last thirty-five years, and we have a, um, a sort of a fellowship hall where we um, have church fellowship, but we also host several AA and NA meetings, and uh, just our building. I mean, it's a blessing to our neighborhood. And, and actually, as so many churches are moving away from buildings, I mean, our building, our physical space, and this actual community um, is is the cornerstone of our ministry because we open it up to the neighborhood in so many ways. We've got a summer camp, six-week summer camp going on here, Freedom Schools. We have an after-school program that's free. We have the NAAA, you know, basketball, the drop-in basketball for neighborhood kids. I mean, our building really matters because we use it for the community. And the church has made over, um, you know, definitely for a long time, but definitely over the last decade has made a choice that we're going to prioritize ministry over, um, aesthetics, Mm, right? mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, when you open your community up to the neighborhood, like things will get dinged up and things will get broken and the carpet will get frayed and nobody likes that, but we've made a choice that we want to use the church for ministry. And so we just kind of, you know, and it's this constant struggle between this neighborhood I mean, people in this neighborhood um, often don't get to move in beautiful spaces, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that sometimes those of us who are born into privilege, we take for granted that when you go to your doctor's office, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go to your school, it's beautiful. And mm-hmm. if you go to your office, you know, it's very well maintained. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when you're moving in a different part of the city where, you know, things are older, there's not money for maintenance, like mm-hmm. most places you go are, are not beautiful. And mm-hmm. that can really 
I mean, it just says something about it. Anyway, so we constantly struggle between one of the reasons we want this space to be beautiful is to create that mm-hmm. for members of our community. And we have a green space. And we, um, But it's hard because we don't want to use our ministry, ministry money on aesthetics. We mm-hmm. want to use our ministry mm-hmm. money on Ministry. Know, ministry on you know feeding people and teaching people and after school supplies and so for this group from Michigan to come down and provide the paint and provide the labor and there's a member of our congregation who's kind of overseeing it it's just an amazing movement of grace and I just you know I don't want to move by it too quickly because it didn't have to be mm. and and to get the privilege of um, being able to do ministry and having our sanctuary repainted for the first time in 35 years. I mean, I just frankly never, ever mm. thought it would happen because I cannot foresee a time in our future where we'd be like, oh, we have a spare $3,000. Let's buy paint and hire painters. Sure. Um, we wouldn't do that. Mm. And so the fact that um, we get to do this, um, th- that we get this gift is just, it is astonishing. And it's, oh, it's so So how many wonderful. people in this group? So there are 15 people in this group. Half of them are working here, and then half of them are working around the corner. A member of our church um, is rehabbing a house that Mm. she is going to use for veterans who Mm. are transitioning out of homelessness or who are in recovery. And so she's been working on that project and working with the state and doing a lot of grant writing and um, having a lot of, you know, it's, it's very difficult to do any kind of ministry when you're dependent on grants, which... I mean, we are because, you know, of the community that we're a part of. People have amazing gifts, amazing talents, amazing passion for the gospel, but not a lot of money. (laughs) So when you are dependent on grants, you're not in control. And that's really hard. It's hard to devote two weeks into writing a grant and then be like, sorry, you didn't get it. (laughs) So it's not only that you didn't get the money, it's that you invested your time. And it's anyway, so for they are also there and they've bought gutters and they're hanging gutters in this um, house, which is really going to move her so much further towards her goal of being able to welcome. So anyway, it's just an amazing answer for How long will these folks be with you? Just a week, a week. They're doing this for a week. week. A full week. Um, Will they worship with you on Sunday? No, they'll have to go back to Michigan. So that is a bummer, but, um, Anyway, and also it's just really cool that it's, you know, it's the body of Christ. Yeah. And I know that there are lots of really, um, there's a lot of good critical thought about mission work and what happens and who's really being served. And I mean, I do think that the young people who are coming are served just as I've led these kinds of groups, but it is a real gift and a real blessing to this congregation mm. and um, and a place of affirmation. Yeah. So anyway, it's fantastic. It's amazing. So what are you thinking about? Well, I can't say too much about this because I'm just starting to look at it. Um, and so I'll just mention it and uh, we'll say more about it in future podcasts. But um, my birthday was Sunday, yes. um, turned 48. And so Saturday, uh, spent the day with my little one uh, doing some fun things. Um, among those fun things, um, uh, hanging out at the mall and we ended up at the bookstore and I saw a book that I've been wanting to get for some time. Um, the title is The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser. He, he uh, is the person who leads the, I don't know if you know the Naked Bible podcast. But, yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is a serious podcast. Okay. Um, but he was reflecting on... I think it's Psalm 
82. Um, I'm trying to look it up and not... Yeah, Psalm 82, verse 1, where it says, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods, lowercase g with an S. And, um, and his position is that the church, especially evangelicalism, has flattened that text in a lot mm-hmm. of texts like it. it. says, oh, where it says the gods, um, uh, Hebrew Elohim, it just means angels. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm, no, mm-hmm. uh, there's something else here. Um, because it says God sits among the gods, and what mm-hmm. is that about? And so there's been this um, renewed interest in what's called the divine council. Mm-hmm. Like in Job? Yeah, and how the divine council works to um, um, do God's will, mm-hmm. right? And so he's looking at that text and other texts that are just kind of weird to our Western mm-hmm. minds. And says, so, okay, let's really look at this because this, this has some implication for how we understand the Bible uh, and how we understand Jesus. So, for example, um, a lot of evangelicalism will, will only focus on, and I, you know me, I love substitutionary atonement. Um, oh, I and, do know that yeah. about you. <laughs> yes. And I, Jesus shed blood for our sin. Yes. And Paul says things about Jesus conquering the powers and principalities. Mm-hmm. And what, what's, what's all that business about? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, um, he says, you know, this is more than just angels and demons here. And so, um, um, uh, this guy was featured on the Bible project, uh, podcast, uh, I like very much. And I heard, uh, him on something else. I said, you know, I really want to read this book. So I just got it, just read the first chapter, and I'm super excited to dig into this uh, a bit more because it's really about understanding the supernatural worldview of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and you know me, I'm interested in getting out of my own flattened understanding of, of Scripture, and I, I love the supernatural and, and all that uh, stuff. Well, what I love about that is just, I just think it's really important to be forced to acknowledge the parts of scripture that unsettle us, right? And I just think for too often, when we read something in scripture, either it's been translated away Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't Mm -hmm. disturb us, or we just ignore it and go, oh, that doesn't mean like what it sounds like it means. And I just think, no, we all have parts of the revelation of scripture that are deeply troubling to us and we're all accountable to sit with them to wrestle with them to you know submit to them mm-hmm. even if mm-hmm. only in the sense that we would say this is here and i acknowledge that it's here and i it does not fit with my understanding of who god is and yet here it is here it is here it is yes. and i just feel like if nothing else it's really helpful in that it just pokes holes in our systems where we just get so comfortable with God yeah. and we operate with this false assumption that like, we understand, I got it. like I got it, whatever. Yeah. And, and so I just think that's really helpful. Like it's deeply unsettling mm. to me to hear that verse. It's deeply unsettling to me, you know, the picture of, you know, the council in Job or, mm. or even in Genesis, uh, in Genesis two. Right. I mean, and to just think it's important though, instead of to hide from those passages 
um, to be able to continually lift them up. And, and particularly, you know, as a pastor from the pulpit to be able to say like, yeah, the book of Hosea, it's there. (laughs) It's deeply troubling. I I wrestle with it. I don't know what to do with it, Mm -hmm. but here's what I won't do. Pretend it doesn't exist or pretend it has nothing to teach me. I mean, I'm just, we all have a canon within the canon, but at the very least, we can be honest about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I really, I appreciate that. I do think it's interesting just to think about, you know, how we understand God, um, that that a God is whatever we worship. Mm. And so, you know, there are a lot of, <laughs> there are a lot of gods in our lives. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying that that's how mm-hmm. to understand that particular mm-hmm. passage. Yeah. But I think, you know, we so glibly, I, oh, there's just one God. I'm like, well, I mean, I know that you've learned that that's the right theological answer. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you really examine your life bravely, you realize, oh, no, there are, you know, there are places where there are other things I worship or other ideas or other powers maybe that I worship with more sincerity and fear than I do God Almighty. And, yeah, and, and part I think, at least what I anticipate of what this book is getting at, is that there is an order of divine beings. They are not God, the Almighty, the uncreated creator, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not angels. Yeah, it's, I just think it's important to be like, you know, the Bible's not a phone book. This yeah, is not easy. And the, yeah. the really ridiculous thing is to believe that what we worship a is common sense, yeah. Or or B yeah. is somehow easy to understand. I mean, we we do yeah. worship what is supernatural, yeah. as the world defines supernatural. Um, even if we would like to pretend we're too sophisticated for that. Doctor Heiser was invited to be on a podcast of a guy who he, he says I'm a pagan, <laughs> and he says he says I got this email from a guy that says I'm pagan. Um, I, I worship the ancient God of Greece, the gods of, of ancient Greece. And, um, but I just read your book and he said, it's, it's amazing. And Dr. Heiser was like, um, I didn't really know what to do with this email. So he talked to this guy and he says, oh, Jesus conquered those gods. She's like, Mm -hmm. oh, so there, there is this, um, there's this, world of of understanding this ancient understanding of the supernatural that's in maybe underneath the text Mm -hmm. that we've just ignored but other people in other contexts might get and there's there's this movement it seems that's trying to bring that back look we need to understand this for our own theology, for our own understanding of what God has ultimately done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I find it exciting. Of course, you know, theory. Of course, one chapter ends. So yes, yeah. yes. No, no, right. I mean, you know, yeah. I always joke about how I hate theology, but then we both know that bad theology is everywhere. And we all have theology. Yes. We're just not always yes. aware of how yes. it's shaping us. Yes. And so, yes. Yeah, so. so what are you thinking about? So you read that so I don't have to. <laughs> um, what am I thinking about so much? I mean, I'm thinking a lot about what is happening on the border and um, mm. how not to grow complacent and how not to be discouraged and how how Jesus would have me respond. Mm. Um so I'm thinking about that, um, thinking about how to also not make it be performative, mm-hmm. you know, how not to to do things just so that people will see me doing something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so 
Um, and I'm also just thinking about, you know, we just recently have gone through Father's Day and Mother's Day. And, and so I'm sure that it is not unique as a pastor that this is a time of year where you hear a lot of stories um, just about, you know, the brokenness of people and, and what people um, long for um, from their parents or from their children and just sometimes what people aren't able to mm. give to one another. And I'm just thinking about that and thinking about how, you know, we can help people um, love, you know, love what's lovable mm. in one another and also not pretend that the places they're hurting don't matter. And But beyond all of that, I'm just thinking about how amazing it can be as a church, as a body of Christ, that we can show up for one another and fill in some of mm. those empty spaces, right? And, mm. um, you know, as an example, um, Colin and I, and we both have very good relationships with our parents, but we, we live very far away. And so my parents, my children do not have the experience that I had growing up of having grandparents who are a regular part of their life. Um, you can't go spend Saturday night at grandma's house. Right. Um, and, and, but, um, it's amazing the way that, um, there are other adults in our church community who love my children and are interested in my children and build relationships with my children and what a gift that is to my kids and what a gift that is to me. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a church, uh, really. And so I don't, um, I don't take that for granted. Mm. And I think sometimes if you did, it just seems like, oh yeah, duh, that's what churches do. But I mean, A, not always. And B, it's so, it's so powerful. It makes such a difference. Um, and actually, you know, my friend Ryan, who you just met a minute ago, who was just here, you know, he's one of those people that does such a great job at just showing up in other people's lives and, you know, like, oh, your kid has a soccer game. Like, I'm just going to come and cheer them on. Like, wow. why? That's good. Because, because it's just an embodied way of saying, you matter and yeah. I'm interested yeah. in your life. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, we discount that, you mm. know, and, and as, and so I don't know, I'm just thinking about how much in, in real ways I want to figure out how to use the resources I have, um, to show up for children, mm. you know, who, who are in terrible conditions, both at the border and in refugee camps around the world and using what I can to do that, but also not neglecting the children who are in this neighborhood or in the pews and saying like, there are embodied real ways that we can, we can show up for one another. And I, sometimes I just think that we neglect the simple things that we could do simply because we can do them, right? Yeah, like we're yeah. trying to spend all of our time and energy to single-handedly solve the border crisis mm -hmm. instead of realizing like, here's what I can do. I can make some calls to share what I believe with my representatives. I can send some money to the organizations that are doing the work that I want to see doing in the world. I can pray. Mm -hmm. Those are things I can do. And often we don't do them because we think, well, what I can do won't matter. Right. So I won't do it. And then there are children or adults or, you know, people who are hungry for relationships in our lives and think like, I can give that person a ride. I can, mm -hmm. you know, and we don't do the simple things that we can do because mm. we just want to save the world uh, and and we neglect 
to do the work that God has called us to do, both, you know, as as a member of the polis, polis you know, mm-hmm. as a citizen, but also just as a member of our individual church communities, as members of our families. And so yeah. I'm just thinking about that interplay and trying to not be so absorbed in my own life that I'm indifferent mm-hmm. to what's mm-hmm. happening. And then also not so, you know, p- impassioned by what's happening um, out nationally and mm-hmm. globally that I'm indifferent to the places where I have a real sphere of sure. influence in my life and balancing all of that. and But also just really thinking about you know, the people in my life, like, you know, the people like my friend Ryan who showed up today to bring donuts to the Michigan kids. Why? Because he knew they were here yeah. and he wanted to show up and they'd yeah. be like, why did this random guy come and bring us donuts? Because what you're doing is a huge blessing. Yeah. And I want you to know that I see that yeah. and it's worth stopping and looking at it. It's kind of a yeah, way of... fantastic. And just there are so many movements of the Holy Spirit that are disguised in ordinary people doing small acts of love that the world despises mm. and we need to not do that. And we need to have eyes to turn aside and see them. And anyway, so that is what I'm thinking about. Fantastic. Um, and I'm not preaching. You're I am not preaching. I am getting on a plane and I'm flying to Austin, Texas. Um, I have a, a, a friend who's getting married. And so I'm going to get to officiate at the wedding, which is a huge blessing. And so I'm grateful for that. But, um, our um, music worship leader, um, uh, Edmund Johnston, is preaching at the Grove, and he's amazing. And so wow. if anyone can, they should come to the Grove and wow. hear some great preaching, which will wow. be in the gym because our sanctuary is being painted. So that's oh, exciting. Fantastic. What are you preaching well, about? We are beginning a series um, going through the book of Philippians, and I'm super excited about I've been waiting all year to start the series because I'm committed now um, I want to preach through a book of the Bible every year, at least you know, one book. And so this year it's Philippians and um, you and I have a little bet. I was going to say, do we get to talk about the bet <laughs> yeah, here on the podcast? I think that's I, a great idea. Have we mentioned idea. it before? No. Okay, no. so Kate thinks that I cannot preach through Philippians. Uh, I cannot finish this series um, by well, don't start the end with of, me. Well, what, no. what is your goal? When do you think you are going to preach through the book of Philippians? By the end of August. Okay. So I think that is delusional thinking. <laughs> it is. It is what? Late June. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Late- you're already thinking that. <laughs> saying that out loud. You're already like, this is not going to work. Le- yeah. I, I have a tendency to really kind of dive into a book and, and, and I, I want to do a slow walk through it. And so, yeah, I remember when we did Galatians, well, I think that was last year, mm-hmm. 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, what? And I think your original goal was you're like, oh, I'm going to do it in five weeks. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And then you'd be like, well, this week, I'm just doing this half a verse. <laughs> and I'd be like, um, okay. And you know what the funny thing, well, I guess the funny thing is that this week I was beginning the study and um, I'm captivated just by the greeting, the first two verses, Uh right? You know, he begins, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, He calls them saints, and that's a wonderful thing. 
Um, and I always love the greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm I'm, I'm not going to stay stuck in those two verses. We're gonna we're gonna shoot for hey, the first I think eleven. You should take as long no, as you want to no, take. No, no, no. I'm I want just to win this saying. Bet. I, I to... know you. I know you. So here's the bet, just to be clear. Okay. Yes. You plan. Yes. Your yes. plan mm-hmm. and expectation is that you are going to finish preaching through the book of Philippians by the end of August. By the end of August. Yes. And I, friends, you've heard it here, believe that Yolanda will finish the book of Philippians in time to begin Advent. Yes. That, that is right. the bet. That's the bet. So That's the bet. That's I, the bet. because, I mean, and I love this about you. I mean, yeah. obviously, like they're just every word in scripture holds a universe of meaning right and what is so like amazing about you as a preacher is that you just dive so deep and you find such richness and you just want to give every good true thing to your congregation like you every single good true thing you know you and i'm just saying like my friend it is not possible no it's not possible but it is Part of the preaching task is to, to decide which true thing is well, right for this moment. Yes. Yes. And so that's why instead of a run or a jog, you do a walk through the text, yeah. which means I'm just saying, small buddy, bites. if your first walk is two verses, you are not ending by the end no, of the box. And I'm no, not no, opposed to we're, it either. We're going to do 11. We're going to do 11 verses. Um, and we'll see. Of course, you know, the, the wonderful thing about Philippians. Eat is, your Wheaties to ride up. Yeah. <laughs> you got some two-hour sermons coming no, up. No, we're going to keep it within half an hour. Ah! No, it's going to be a half-hour sermon. Okay. 11, I'm, I'm serious. Uh, people would be glad to listen to you preach for 45 minutes. Well, That's no, the thing. No, we're gonna, you preach for 45 minutes and people are like, we're, we're I could have had more. I wanted more. We're going to do 30 minutes, 11 okay. verses. Okay. Um, and again, Philippians fits our theme yeah, joy absolutely. For the 52 year. weeks of joy. I gotcha. Um, and 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 it's not that Paul is I forgot on easy what street, our theme right? Of the year was. What's that? <laughs> I said I don't. The Grove had a theme of the year in 2019. <laughs> I don't even remember what it is. <laughs> All right. Wow. So this is going to be great. So if you want to hear Yolanda's sermon, it is going to be on the Derida podcast, which is on the Podbean website. Yes. So you can look it up. And if you would like to hear uh, Edmund's sermon at The Grove, it is going to be on the Grove Church podcast, which you can find on iTunes. Um, and you can check out our websites. Um, you can look up Derrida Church, which is in Charlotte. It's a Google site. And you can check out The Grove at thegrovecharlotte.org. This is our snazzy new ending because we are getting professional. <laughs> so we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>